Welcome to the Dunker Punks Podcast. I'm Nancy Fitzgerald, today's host. Everywhere I went last week, people asked if I was enjoying the beautiful weather. Now, this was Washington, D.C. on an uncharacteristically cool September week. Of course, shortly after that, the hurricanes hit Texas and then Florida, and that was all anyone talked about, and rightly so. But I wondered if I had really enjoyed the weather. I mean, certainly as I walked briefly between office and car, I was happy that the temperatures were cool, and I loved sleeping with the windows open. But I didn't take time to walk in the woods, even when I thought about it. I didn't steal any time away for a round of golf. I know, where are my priorities? And even on my day off, all I managed was a walk with a friend in a small town setting and getting my laundry done. Now that the warm humidity from what was left of the Irma storm has invaded my neighborhood, I wonder why I didn't take advantage of the time when it was cool to get outdoors. Do you prioritize time outside? Think about it as you listen to our theme song about priorities. I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, like inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Dillim, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. Welcome back. Did you decide if getting outdoors is a priority for you? Of course, if you work outside all day, you might be one who is quite happy to get indoors. But many of us spend most of our hours, days, and even weeks 
within four walls. How then do we appreciate and celebrate God's creation? Even more, how connected are we to it? This episode, Jonathan Stauffer returns with an interview with Randall Westfall, Camp Brethren Heights Director in Big Rapids, Michigan. You might imagine a camp director has insights into the out-of-doors that the average person does not, but I believe you will be surprised at just how connected Randall is to God's creative order. Wow, this is a story worth hearing and a pilgrimage from which I can learn how to take advantage of good weather and bad while enjoying the wonderful earth God has given us. Thanks, Jonathan. Hello, Ducker Punks listeners. In this episode, I interview Randall Westfall, current director at Camp Brethren Heights near Big Rapids, Michigan. As a brethren minister in his late 20s, Randall started on a pilgrimage deep into the wilderness and found a renewed call to living out the Jesus way in our earthly context. From his personal experience, Randall has led youth camps that teach wilderness survival skills in a Christian camp setting. And in 2010, he founded Ancient Paths Outdoor School to offer adult instruction for nature-based workshops and spiritual retreats year-round. Randall claims that wilderness skills and outdoor experiences deepen a spiritual connection to our inner child, attune our perception to the Holy Spirit's movement within creation, and adds richer context for our reading of scripture. My own journey into ecological theology and environmental justice, I credit in part to the professional work I've done with Randall through seven summers of camp ministry. I'm confident this interview will provide a glimpse into the rich discussions I've had with Randall from over a decade of friendship. As you listen to the podcast, I want you to pay attention to the language that Randall has developed towards wilderness spirituality. You'll hear phrases such as, reconnecting to our senses, going to edge places, and discovering God's eco-blueprint. I hope the insights Randall offers will inspire you to rewild your own walk as a radical disciple of Jesus Christ. Hello, Randall. Glad to have you join us on the Dunker Punks podcast. Yeah, Jonathan, thanks for having me. Uh, Look forward to being able to share some of my experiences and uh, a bit of wisdom I've gathered along the way, my connections and deep nature connections. So yeah, it's good to be with you. I know from helping you at camps with counseling and other outdoor ministry events we've been at that you've been talking a lot about practices that reconnect one to God's creation. I've heard you describe this as a process to rewild the Christian faith. And I would say you have taken to teaching these principles as your calling in ministry. So could you say more about your journey and calling to rewild the faith? So yeah, that, I think you, you named that well. I would say that my calling really is essentially at this point to, to help people rewild their faith. Uh, and, and if that extends into the church, uh, I think that would be awesome. I think there's points where that's already happening. Uh, but right now I'm more focused on, I think, individuals in that context. But uh, So rewilding, really it's about uh, restoring kind of these ancestral ways of living mm-hmm. uh, that create like a greater health and well-being for us as part of humanity, but also the ecosystems that we belong to. So it's it's really working at, it's not just that when we say rewilding ourselves, we're, we're really opening ourselves up to the process of reconnecting ourselves uh, with creation, uh, which is a big part of it for me is, uh, you know, we were created, I think, in the Genesis story, mm-hmm. we were created to be in relationship with three things, with with each other, with our community, our neighbors, but also, you know, our creator, that was kind of a given. 
but also we were we were created to be in relationship with creation. And so I think being connected to creation means returning to our senses again, uh, returning to ourselves and coming home in the world in a way that I think we were created to be. I think humanity has has shifted away from that deep nature connection, maybe more so in the past 25 or 30 years. You could probably even argue maybe since the Industrial Revolution particularly, but mm. at least at, in our lifetimes that we've seen in the 25, 30, 40 years here, uh, with the advancement of technology and stuff like that, that disconnection is becoming, I think, more and more observable and felt, not only just kind of on personal levels, but even kind of on larger levels in terms of organizations and even in the church. So I think there's this process of what does it mean to rewild ourselves and, um, like I said, returning to our senses is a big part of it. It's open, expanding our awareness and being connected in a way that makes us feel alive, because I think that's what Jesus ultimately wants for us in, in our salvation, is to come alive and to live in a way that feels like we are connected to everything that God has created. Um, for me, it was more of a sense that something was, was missing from my life. Uh, I had been serving as a pastor in the Church of the Brethren for about uh, five years. Uh, whenever I sensed this kind of initial wilderness time away from congregational ministry, I, I sensed that even though I enjoyed preaching, I loved being with people, I loved being in the church, something still didn't feel quite right to me. Um, and, and, I, and I used some kind of what I thought was going to be a metaphorical wilderness time away from congregational ministry and even the church for a while. I grew up in the Church mm-hmm. of the Brethren. I have one foot in the old German Baptist Church and, and one foot in the Church of the Brethren. And so I've, I've been a part of this my whole life. I've never really kind of walked away from it because uh, I love it. <laughs> Uh, but this was the kind of a time I felt like here's here's a time to walk away from this for a little bit and to kind of clarify some things in my ministry and maybe what it is that I'm called to do. And so again, I started telling people, I think I'm going to take a wilderness time and uh, some wandering, exploring. Sure enough, that ended up being more of a literal wilderness time. During that time, as I was transitioning out of pastoral ministry, I was for some odd reason I was really reconnecting with what does it mean to be alive again and to, and to feel alive. And I was going back to my my childhood and the experiences I had as a child. Uh, growing up in the country and, and being outdoors. And, and then I was also connecting. I had some friends in the Church of the Brethren specifically who had kind of recommended, hey, Randall, it sounds like you're on this journey. You need to really check out Tom Brown Jr. And I had actually already been reading some of Tom Brown Jr.'s stuff uh, towards the end of my time in mm-hmm. pastoral ministry. And they were saying, well, you know, you know, you need to check that out. And maybe you just need to go to Tom Brown Jr.'s tracker school, which I, I ended up doing uh, back in 2007. I took the standard course for a week there and, and really – transform it pulled me deeper i mean sure it was about wilderness survival training i mean sure it was about being very heavy on the skills uh you know shelter and learning how to to get fire primitively and all that kind of stuff but it was it was also doing something because there were talks and sessions that were that were really directed i think towards our awareness and for me that felt more like kind of maybe something that i had experienced in the church in terms of maybe it felt kind of like we were in church even though we weren't but really challenging us to think about our awareness with god's creation and how we how we live in connection to and how we're really disconnected from that. Even people who came to tracker school uh, would admit their willingness or their, would admit that they are or that they were uh, disconnected from nature. And so mm-hmm. they wanted to learn how to reconnect to creation. So I, I had that happen, and and I came back from tracker school my week there, uh, which was in New Jersey, uh, in the Pine Barrens of southern New Jersey, and I knew that I I wanted to go deeper. And I had a couple years where I was trying to, you know, I would teach some of the skills that I'd learned, um, but I didn't really have any, I didn't have this bundle that I felt like was really, was really helping me 
kind of connect it to my, my own Christian faith and then being a follower of Jesus. And so I knew I wanted to go deeper. And then in 2009, uh, I ended up going out to Seattle, Washington area. Uh, Wilderness Awareness School has a nine-month adult immersion program called the Anake Outdoor School. Uh, again, a nine-month adult immersion program for people 18 and older. And I decided that's what I needed to do. And with the support of my wife, uh, who was going to stay back and work in Illinois during that those nine months while I went out to Seattle. And the support of also a local church camp, Camp Quinania out there in Washington, I was able to stay there, live on site, and just work, kind of live as a BVSer. So I was able to go out there really at minimal cost and do my nine months of training. So that really, that added, you know, what I got in one week's time at tracker school with the skills and a little bit of kind of the philosophy and awareness stuff was just expanded to the nth degree with Wilderness Awareness School um, because I had nine months. And, and I was in a, my class had 32 people in it. And we all ranged from ages uh, 18 through, I think, about 60. And so a, a good number of diverse people there. So that, you know, that kind of brings you up to where now all of a sudden I feel like after my nine months at, at Wilderness Awareness School, I feel like all of a sudden I'd reclaimed something I'd lost. That very thing that I kind of walked away from pastoral ministry, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, okay, I feel like I've got this now. And now I was starting to add the layers to my, you know, how does this speak to the Christian faith? Um, it, again, it wasn't, it wasn't a Christian school by any stretch of the means, but it was definitely, it gave me a platform uh, to be able to explore more deeply how my faith integrates with this deep nature connection that we were doing. So, yeah, it was returning to my childhood, you know. I mean, <laughs> growing up in the country, chasing frogs, building forts, making fires, being outside all day. For me, that was the embodiment of Jesus' charge, I think, in Matthew 18, to embody the faith, or the, I, I say not just the faith, but the energy and the spirit of a little child. For me, it was just kind of my own unique way of living into the kingdom of God. Yeah, and now I'm fortunate as part of my vocation as the camp director here at Camp Brethren Heights. But I also have my own outdoor school, uh, Ancient Paths Outdoor School. I get a chance to really help others rediscover their inner child. And for me, that's what it's about. How do we tap into uh, the faith of a child, the childhood passions? And to me, that's just a, a part of the process of Jesus, uh, what Jesus means by, uh, you know, having the faith of a child. Randall, was there a particularly impactful experience from the Wilderness Awareness School that deepened your connection with creation and your faith in Christ? Probably the most impactful experience for me was during my week-long uh, wilderness survival, just actual survival trip, where I was out in the woods for a whole week with nothing but the clothes on my back. That kind of wraps up kind of our experience at Wilderness Awareness School uh, is having the survival trip. That's kind of part of what you've been building up for all year. And, you know, and there's some mm -hmm. people that don't participate in that. They don't feel they can do it. And I certainly felt I could. And, but I also knew that I wasn't just out there. I wasn't going to be out there just surviving. I was, this was going to be kind of a, my own kind of vision quest, uh, right of passage. So I was already beginning to discern how, how all this would fit into my faith journey. And more specifically, how was this going to look in the context of ministry? Because I was still asking that question even towards the closing weeks of my time at at the Anake program. And I remember it was late in the afternoon on the fourth day. I just happened to be sitting along the one kind of major river that did kind of cut through the area where I was. And I was sitting along the riverbank, and I think maybe in my own way, maybe I was in prayer, meditation. By day four, the hunger has kind of subsided. You're not, you're not thinking like, man, I just want a big double cheeseburger. You're like, man, I just like, you know, just some tomato soup with crackers would be good right now. You know, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, you're not, you've, you've kind of gotten past the elaborate, like, oh, when I get back, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. No, you're, you're now finally content, I think, by that day four. And there's something about that fourth day. I don't know what it is. I think there's something, again, mystical about it. But it was, it was the fourth day, sitting along the river, the river's bank, and, and the silhouette was 
trotted along the other side of the river, in the salmonberry and bramble thickets, and you know, it kind of caught it caught my eye at first, and then I didn't pay attention. All of a sudden, a little bit farther down, there was this kind of this patchwork of snaggy brown and, and grays. Uh, we, we were pretty deep into the wilderness at this point. So I knew this wasn't going to pass as the family pet. This wasn't a Fido. And, and I could see, and I'm going to think it was, I think it was a her. I could see in her, like, striking yellow eyes that she was, it was too wild. It was just, there was a wildness about this creature. And I think that we just sat there. It probably couldn't have been more than maybe just a few minutes. It felt like hours. And it was almost like someone had hit pause. I mean, literally hit pause on the remote control. And the more I watched this wild being, as as much as I was exchanging kind of a a stare and a a time with it, I began to see like this mirrored image, basically a reflection of myself. You know, John Young, who was the founder of Wilderness Awareness School, uh, was one of Tom Brown Jr.'s uh, first students. He talks about how coyote... And that's what this was. This was, I believe, to be a female coyote. says that a coyote always lives just on the edge of our awareness. That's why we don't always see coyotes. Maybe some people see coyotes more than others. I don't see coyotes a lot, and I don't think it's necessarily because of where I am. I think it's because, it's like he says, they they always live just on the edge of our awareness. If we're aware that coyote is out there, you'll probably never see him. But if if you're not aware of coyote, then that's when coyote comes up on your front deck. But regardless, he says that when coyote shows up, they always bring a message. So pay attention. And I remembered that, and I really do believe in that moment that there was a message. I came with a question, and I really feel that that question was being addressed at that moment in time. And it would be how I would be as a person moving forward from here, but also, more importantly, how would I relate to the church? And the message for me, just almost like it was just it was reverberating in my, in my soul, was coyote is one that walks the edge. So walk the edge. Well, what does that mean? Well, I sat there for a little bit longer, and all of a sudden I realized maybe... What Coyote's saying is walk the edge of faith or walk the edge of the church. And I was like, oh, whoa. Here I had come from being kind of a pastor in the church, very much kind of in the center of what was happening, and the district was active, involved in stuff. Here is Coyote, and I would dare to say the Holy Spirit bringing a message to me through God's creation to say, no, your way of being in the church is not going to be in this centralized as a pastor or moderator or any of those other roles, maybe working on denominational staff or whatever. It's going to be walking the edge of the church. And all of a sudden I began to discern, what are the ways that I can walk the edge of the church? It became pretty clear within a couple of days that outdoor ministry might be one of the best settings and ways that I can walk the edge of the church. I, you know, I had a friend tell me before I went to Wilderness Water School, why are you not in outdoor ministry? But I wasn't really seriously thinking about outdoor ministry, I think, until after the challenge to walk the edge. And I think, as I, as I reflect on that now, that, that, that that's exactly what the edge is for me right now at this point in my life. And for the past almost seven years, uh, being in outdoor ministry has allowed me to be coyote in my own way to the church without having to be pulled into all the stuff. And yes, you're still going to get pulled into all the stuff of the church anyway. But it kind of keeps me on the edge. And for me, I began to to rediscover Jesus in his own way was one who walked the edges and spent much mm-hmm. of his time living in edge places, connecting with people on the on the margins of society. And then it just took me into a whole other, right? You know, because all of a sudden it's just like it just pulls you deeper. But this idea of what does it mean to draw people out to their edge? And so mm-hmm. outdoor ministry for me does just that, especially whenever we do it in a, in a context where, I mean, it's for some kids it's their edge anyway. When they show up, just being at camp, you know, the kids who are in a, come from an urban setting who can't even see the stars at night because of the light pollution come mm-hmm. to camp and a doorway is open at night when they go, whoa, look at the stars. 
that's an edge for them. And that's, to me, that's our edges are what help give us definition and shape in them. And it's important that we, that we go to the edge. We don't have to live there, but we need those edge experiences. So have you found challenges when you talk about your wilderness experiences or perspectives with other Christians? And if so, what were ways you worked through those challenges? First and foremost, that again, I always tell people that the experience that I had, whether it was with Tom Brown Jr.'s tracker school or with Wilderness Awareness Schools, those were not designated Christian programs, organizations, and they did not give a, a Christian lens. In fact, actually, they might have been, probably rightly so, a little hard on Christianity, because I think Christians and Christianity have maybe lost our roots from some of this very basic awareness, uh, what it means to be connected to creation. So... I think that that's what my challenge was in those two years between Tom Brown Jr.'s Tracker School and Wilderness Awareness School, was that I was trying to somehow speak to the church in a way that I felt, I, that's part of the reason why I felt I needed to go deeper, because I didn't have a way to really speak what that one week of wilderness skills and training really did to me. It still felt like the way I was talking was like I was I basically was just a naturalist, or maybe even somebody would, you know, say that it's not even Christian. So my time... Wilderness Awareness School gave me, I said, more time to, to be in prayer and discernment, and I did a lot of journaling, a lot of journaling in my nine months. I went to my, uh, Wilderness Awareness School calls it a sit spot, but I've, I've, I've adopted the language of a green couch. I went to my sit spot or my green couch every day for nine months. I had a lot of time to, to sit with creation and, and the plants that were in different seasons and growing and tracks and bird language and all that. I'm journaling, I'm mapping, I'm doing all this, but I'm also praying and discerning about, again, that very question that I kind of took whenever I was on my survival trip. How am I going to speak this to people in the church? Thank God I'm in the Church of the Brethren, because I think the Church of the Brethren really, I think, gets what it means to be connected to creation. I think maybe, yes, we've lost in our own way, we've lost some connection with those roots. But I think historically we've been connected. So a challenge in the sense how I bring it back to a community that once understood it, maybe doesn't understand it in the way that we used to, uh, was one thing. So... I was trying to translate skills, but once I got more of kind of the philosophical, the awareness, and the theological pieces, kind of an eco-theological piece as well, I began realizing this is a way that I can bring this back to my community of faith and to the larger Christian community, because we need it. I've spent the better part of the last six years further developing what I'm calling God's eco-blueprint. What it is, it's basically a takeoff of what I encountered at Wilderness Awareness School. They, they took the old language of a medicine wheel, and they called it the eight shields, where they were focusing on the eight directions, the four cardinal directions, and then the, and then the four, not in cardinal, whatever, but the other four directions, you know, southwest and northwest, that kind of stuff. So they had this, this template for how they did everything, the way they set up the year, the way they taught, um, the way we learned. It was all based on the natural cycles and patterns and rhythms of creation. And once I got that piece of it, uh, how I implement that into everything I do, when I write a sermon now, I think about each of those directions and the qualities that those directions hold, and that's how I do my sermon. I start in the east, and I, you know, and I work my way to the south. And, and you know, in the east, it's about inspiring. In the south, it's about like focus and perspiration. These all relate to you know cycles of the sun and all that kind of stuff. Again, I, we could spend a whole other two hours or more in this podcast just talking about this eco-blueprint that I believe God's given us, we've, we've kind of gotten away from that. We've tried mm -hmm. to do things in our own way, and I think this is a very natural cycle that we've got to rediscover. So I, I've been taking a lot of my time and, and working at, again, what I'm calling God's eco-blueprint and developing that as a context, as a way of deepening our connection to creation by using those cycles, patterns, and rhythms um, for how we approach all of life. 
and, it, and it, I've yet to find a single piece of, of our life that this doesn't apply to. And I think especially in the church, if we could rediscover this, we could do some, I think, amazing things in the context of how we reshape or reform the church, because I think that's where we're at now. Christianity is going through a major reformation again, and, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I feel like this is one piece that might be offered to the church if the church would be ready for it. And, and you have to be careful with this stuff because it's too easy, like I said, it gets written off as being pagan or, or earth worship. And it's why I don't talk about it anymore. I try not to. And so I, forgive me, if, I know we're, we're using this medium right now of just talking on a podcast. The best way for me to do anything with this Eco Blueprint would be to have you come either to camp or have you invite me to you know your district or your church or do a retreat where we would spend a weekend talking about this Eco Blueprint and we would walk through it. I would actually map it out somewhere on the land, you know, all the directions, and then we would mm-hmm. we would put things there, and we'd walk through it, the different cycles, and it would just keep adding layers upon layers upon layers. Then by adding now the eco-theological stuff, the historical roots of, of the church and the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, I think, the biblical aspects of how all of this makes sense. You know, I mean, there, you look at the word seasons in the Hebrew Bible, and that is a word packed with meaning. And we just read it as seasons, like, okay, it's fall, it's spring, it's summer. It's, but there's so much more happening there than we understand, because they were, even the Israelites, the Hebrews, were attuned to the cycles and patterns and rhythms of nature, and it's right there in the it's right there in the Hebrew Bible. Again, we've forgotten how to read it, and so that's been part of what the challenge, but also working past the challenge, has been the greatest blessing at this point to see people go, oh, so that's why I'm living in the southwest of my life as a young adult. You know, I'm maybe between 21 and 30, and I'm, I'm in the southwest part of my life where I'm exploring and I'm wandering and, and I'm, you know, trying to figure things out. And, you know, like all of a sudden it's like the aha moments happen again. And then all of a sudden that opens again this, what does it mean to be alive in Jesus Christ? And it awakens something in us. It resurrects this ancient way of being that I think God wants us, wants us to be in relationship with creation. Randall, could you say more about the significance of connecting deeper with God's creation? What can followers of Jesus gain through learning about survival skills and paying attention to other creatures? Uh, Creation has a way of making you very aware. You're either going to continue as you are and not be aware of what's happening. You're just going for a hike and you wonder why you don't really see any animals or anything like that. Or they they can challenge you and pull you out of your that chatter monkey that's in your you know it's in your head and all of a sudden you recognize oh I'm kind of stepping into their world their home now and I need to be tuned to that so for me there's this these I mean all of these skills right whether it's fire it's one thing to to talk about you know the three things that fire needs in order to to live you know oxygen a fuel source and a heat source but it's another thing to relate that especially with people whenever they work at fire in a primitive manner uh and you know you've seen them sweat a little bit with a bow drill or a hand drill they've got calluses on their hands from a hand drill but they got a coal and then they they were able to put that in a tender bundle and blow it into flame it awakens something in people Mm -hmm. that i think is kind of ancestral it's in our bones we've just forgotten how to tap into it and for Mm -hmm. me that's part of that awakening to god's creation awakening i think to the power of the holy spirit to pay attention to what creation is speaking to us so the skills are one thing, and I think a lot of times kids come to camp or to an outdoor workshop that I'm offering and they're because they're, they want the skill, right? They want to learn about wild edible plants. But when we take it a step further and actually add the spiritual, and I would even go so far as the biblical implications of what we're doing and how that really does speak to their, their faith, 
wherever their faith is at and what faith they may have. It, it, something about raising your awareness always does something. To me, the I always call I say that the wilderness survival skills are kind of the gateway to, to deep nature connection. Deep nature connection mm-hmm. really puts us on the path of really connecting our faith with God's creation. It feels almost mystical to talk about it that way. And people kind of write it off. No, you can't do that. You can't know that. How can you know that? But then when you put them in that setting and surrounding, uh, or when you put them in that setting, and all of a sudden they have a chance to, to slow down, and hopefully they're disconnected at that point from whatever their devices are. And all of a sudden they're, something awakens in them again. And even if it's just for the briefest moment, that's what I want. Because that's when people are open to hearing the message of God's love, because it's in the context of, the, of creation, which is mm-hmm. an imprint of God's love for me. Yeah, I like how you share that as a mystical or spiritual experience that is unlocking something deeper within the human soul. And, and I think the mystical sense, Jonathan, ties into our dunker punk <laughs> brethren tradition, that that's the radical pietist wing of mm. our faith. Uh, we, we oftentimes speak so much to the Anabaptist tradition that the Church of the Brethren, you know, we, we have two rivers that merge into one. <laughs> we have two rivers that, that, are, that our faith, uh, you know, as in the Church of the Brethren, um, that, that we're pulling from. And oftentimes the radical pietist piece of it kind of gets left out in its own kind of way. And I think the mystical side brings some of that back, because that's certainly what the, piet, the radical pietists, um, Gottfried Arnold and Spainer and some of the others were, were doing, and uh, Hochman von Hockenau, what they were all doing was, again, I think giving us a chance to tap into something very ancient, which to me is the mystical side of things. I know you've certainly helped me think more about it just from counseling at camps with you over the last, I guess we've done seven years now. Yeah. So the last question I have, and I think one that a lot of our listeners would have, is what can they do as dunker punks to become more in tune with creation in their own locale? That's, I think, the question of questions, right? Like, how do we continue to take the steps that deepen our discipleship and our faith? And I would wholeheartedly say that the way that we live in relation to God's creation is crucial to our discipleship as followers of Jesus Christ. It's no longer something that's just kind of a secular ethic or something. No, it is, it is integral to being a disciple of Jesus Christ means how do we live with all the created order. So we use this language of an eco-protector, uh, an eco-guardian, a caretaker. Uh, some might even use the language warrior, although that, for brethren that might be a, a stretch. <laughs> but to become an eco-protector, I think it requires you to be familiar with your own ecological setting. Obviously, wherever you're hearing this podcast, your, your feet are on different soils than mine are here in kind of north-central Michigan. I think it takes time to cultivate awareness and your skills, if you're going to work on the skills as well, of our relationship to creation. That's the first step, I I believe, is this awe and reverence. That's what we read in the Psalms, right? You know, the awe and reverence of God through God's creation. But the next question is, how do we move to the next stages of connection and then attunement? Because otherwise, you won't understand your role as a caretaker or protector. There won't be a call. If you're just in awe and reverence of something, there may not be a call for it. And I think sometimes that's what happens in the church today, especially when it comes to greening our faith, right? That we don't understand a whole lot about creation. We haven't connected to it. So there's not a need to protect it beyond maybe the trends that are, you know, the current trends that are trending. But when we learn to connect with our own personal space, our own local setting, we will fall in love with it and we will want to take care of it. Um, So there's just a few simple ways. First thing I would say is the most simple. It's develop a green couch routine. Um, Again, the green couch is just simply having a spot that's yours. It can be, if you're, for me, I'm at camp. It's literally like like a three minute walk from my house right kind of in our backyard, which, yes, happens to be in the woods. And I go there and I sit 
Some days I'll take a Bible with me. Some days I'll take a journal. Some days I won't take anything. Or some days I'll take a field guide. You can learn so much about your local setting just by paying attention. And, you know, go to the set spot, go for 20 minutes. And if you can go for 20 minutes, go for 30 minutes, go for an hour, go different times of the day. If you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you can go to your sit spot, your green couch, go to it. I would say that's first and foremost. And, and, and walk barefoot if you can to get there. Now, if you're in an urban setting, I know that we've got lots of parks and stuff. You know, find a local park that you can get to, that you can ride your bike or walk to, uh, and have your, your green couch there. That would be certainly the first thing and probably the easiest thing. Although it sounds simple, the stuff that comes out of that, like I said, for nine months, I knew my spot at Camp Koinonia because I, I went there every day for nine months. Two is I would say get your hands on some field guides. Certainly there's tons of them out there. There's Peterson's guides and Sibley guides and just about every field guide that you could come across, uh, you know, for birds or plants or tracks or, you know, whatever. But I would say start off with the most helpful ones are the ones that I found that have uh, the ones that are local to your own bioregion. Okay. You can start with like a Peterson guide to eastern or western forest if you wanted just one field guide. And these things, you know, libraries have these things. You know, field guides are just crammed in libraries because I don't think a whole lot of people are using them anymore because people Google mm-hmm. everything. These field guides are something you can take with you um, and just begin to get a sense of your overall picture, how you fit into your bioregion, your ecosystem. The other thing, a couple things I would say here is rediscover our brethren heritage, the Dunker Punk heritage as an earth-connected people. Brethren, mm-hmm. up until probably the turn of the 20th century and even still even, to, even into then, were largely farmers and people who you know, had gardens and all this. And we're, we're starting to reclaim that again, I think, in the church. The simplicity aspect, you know, peacefully, simply together. Well, the simplicity aspect is the arm for me that talks about our connection as earth-rooted people, as creation-connected people. Brethren have had that from the very beginning. It's, it's infused into how we, it's infused into our theology and how we think and see things. So I would say rediscover the history, the brethren history, especially doing so with an earth-connected, with kind of this, this, seeing them as earth-connected people. For me, the elder George Wolfe, uh, I think the second, who came from Kentucky and went to Illinois, southern Illinois, is a fabulous mm-hmm. story. This guy's a wilderness guy. He and his buddy lived mm-hmm. out in the woods for almost a year on just stuff they trapped and hunted. And, you know, like, you know, as they were trying to find a place to start a new brethren congregation, they went into the wilderness. And they, like, <laughs> they certainly embodied a bit of that, that they were connected to creation. I would say also yeah. read, learning to read the Bible uh, with a green or an eco lens. See how, because setting landscape is important to everything that happens in the scriptures, everything. It plays a part, and it's crucial. Again, we've, we've just extracted our theology and our beliefs and our values from those landscapes and settings. Go back and look at the settings to which um, our, all of these stories happen. I preached just uh, this past Sunday on talking about caves, and I was using caves as a metaphor and all that. And then again, looking at what the ecological setting, the bioregion, had to speak to the story itself. It plays a crucial part. Um, but then, again, reading it with a green lens as well as to well, what are the implications for the biblical call to stewardship and care for creation. And then lastly, this is going to be my, my pitch, <laughs> participate in camp, Church of the Brethren summer camp programs. Of course. You know, we have 27 Church of the Brethren camps across the denomination, across the country. Camps are already implementing care for creation practices, I think in more visceral ways than I think a typical church community is, because we're already, we're already there. <laughs> we're already a part of it. It's, already, it's, it's, it's the context from which we do ministry, that we, are, that we are outside and we are connected to nature. So we're already asking, how do we take care for creation in a way that, that is beyond just kind of the typical recycling or whatever? Like, those are all good things, you know, but how mm-hmm. do we step up and do more? Because discipleship is always, is always seeking 
what's the next thing that I'm going to be asked to do in doing it? So connecting to Church of the Brethren, some you know, camp programs, whether it's volunteering, a staff, you know, being on summer staff, um, finding ways to go for work projects, those kinds of things. And then as a kind of also with that, if you're not close to maybe a Church of the Brethren camp, find a way to connect to a local outdoor school. There are lots and lots of people that I, that I know who have done the Anake program now. It's now, I think it's in its 20th year almost, and there are a lot of people who have gone and started their own outdoor schools across the country, and they're seeking to connect people. So between church camps and these outdoor schools, they have some resources, some tools, and some templates for, for you to, to begin what I call practicing some spiritual disciplines of nature connection. And, of course, you know, I'm always available as well to go and, and to visit and to speak with people, congregations, camps, districts, to talk about what we're doing, this eco blueprint that God's given us. Yeah, so hopefully there's a couple things there that people can take, and hopefully maybe one of those nuggets can sit with them as they begin to practice that and deepen their connection to God's creation. Absolutely. I want to thank you, Randall, for the time that you've taken to share with us about your journey into wilderness. Thanks, Jonathan. It's good to be with you. Jonathan, once again, you have brought a challenge to those of us who follow the ways of Jesus, and it's a fun one. More time outdoors, just as the fall weather is setting in for much of the USA. Fall and spring seem to rival each other for my favorite time of year. I love the early spring flowers in spite of my tree pollen allergies. But the crisp fall and crunch of leaves underfoot that go along with the changing colors often win out for my favorite. How about this challenge to explore our spirituality and deepen our faith in the outdoors? Rewilding is a great phrase. Can I bring some wild into my life, my faith journey, in a good way? I'll let Randall's challenge to us stand, Dunker Punks. Go find a green couch, a spot to call your own, in a park, your yard, maybe an urban zoo, or just a little bit of wetlands that some developer has been forced to reclaim. If you are fortunate enough to live on a farm or nearby the mountains or shore, You have an advantage over the rest of us. Find a spot, whether you sit on the ground or in the sand or take a travel chair. Just go and pay attention. Set aside a few moments to really be present. See what is around you. After a few sessions and assuming your curiosity is roused, find one of the guidebooks that Randall suggests. Dust them off from the library shelf and learn a little more about the out-of-doors. If you do those two simple things, you will be connecting with the faith heritage of the mystics. There are pietist mystics that Randall mentioned and that are part of the Brethren family tree, and there are Christian mystics that predate the Reformation. As we come up on St. Francis' holiday of October 4th, it's the perfect time to see all the creatures around your green couch, too. Whatever comes to you, I'm sure your faith will grow. Each of us may experience something different, but we will all experience the work of God before us, and soon we will feel it stirring in us. I share this poem in closing by Mary Oliver. It sums up for me the perfect atmosphere for this journey into the rewilding of our faith. It's called The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, 
who is gazing around with her enormous, complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? By Mary Oliver. Thanks for listening, Dunker Punks. And here's a final blessing from Randall. A prayer of blessing for all those who are, are hearing this podcast that you uh, go and find a way to rewild your faith as well, because I think it'll, it'll change your life. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaborative effort among young adults who prioritize their faith journey and are willing to follow Jesus into all the wild places he leads. We are led by a strong volunteer crew, Emmy Gehring, producer, Jacob Krause, musician, Kevin Schatz edited our audio, Emmett Eldred and I are your hosts. Suzanne Lay is our executive producer. Jenna Walmer is our advancement coordinator. We are sustained by the Arlington Church of the Brethren and supporters like you. Next episode, Emmett returns as a contributor and co-host. We will have some fun together. Until then, enjoy the wild of creation, and thanks for listening.